A Half Hour Wasted presents Umbrella Academy One Shot by the Legion of Dudes Sometimes late when things are real and people share the gift of gab between themselves Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time The Legion of Would you be the puppy? Come here puppy I love you so much You're so cute Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. <laughs> it's the Legion of Dudes podcast. You can't judge a book by looking at the cover. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome to A Half Hour Wasted presents The Umbrella Academy, Apocalypse Suite by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba. I'm Johnny M, alongside my fellow panelists and mushpuffs, the Legion of Dudes. Thanks for tuning in to our one-shot episode of this spoiler-filled roundtable discussion and analysis of the 2008 Harvey Award winner for Best New Series. Visit the Half Hour Wasted Forum at thecomicforums.com where you can post your thoughts on The Umbrella Academy and our ongoing episodes of The Watchmen. Send your comments via email to comments at legionofdudes.com. And we have one other dude with us tonight. Introduce yourself, sir. Hey, guys, this is Adam. Let the disappointment begin. Yes, we're light on regular dudes tonight, but we have two very special guests with us. We have from a half-hour wasted podcast, Mr. Frank Rincon. How are we doing, hey, Frank? Guys. I am wonderful. It is a pleasure to be on this show, and um, uh, you guys are pretty good. You guys are pretty all right. Well, you, Frank, are the man, and you guys are the reason that we do this at all. So thank you very much for being here tonight, and we're very happy to have you. It is my and Brad's pleasure. Let me ask you a question. Um, I always wonder, what does the A stand for in A Rencon? Awesome. Awesome. Nice. Uh, so Frank, it, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave that as a mystery. It depends on how I'm treating you that day. You know, it could stand for anything, but uh, but usually it's it's awesome. You know, so sometimes if I'm looking a little pale, it might be Anglo. Um, you know, <laughs> if I'm really pale, it might be albino. Um, you know, it could be anything. Right. We're really happy to have you on. You guys are definitely what got us started, and we appreciate it, and we're going to have some fun. All right. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said we totally beat Half Hour Wasted on the last three episodes in that secret meeting we had, John. That's why they call it a secret, dude. God, hey, Frank, what are you up to these days? You're the worst at keeping secrets, uh, Adam. Uh, Right now, I am uh, house-sitting for someone, and it's a little disturbing. I got manhandled by a cat a while ago. Uh, There's this girl with, with the white blonde hair who just kind of appears and talks to the TV every so often. And uh, Did you tell her to go to the light, Frank? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, and um, uh, shrubbery um, that's coming to life outside of the place. Um, uh, what is that called? Uh, topiary? Uh, yeah, topiary. I have topiary that's coming to life outside. But other than that, you know, I have satellite, so that's kind of cool. Very cool. Oh. But that... <laughs> Hey, guys, but that's not all. Speaking of girls, 
Uh, we have one with us tonight, Megan, who I don't think talks to the TV, but I don't know her that well. Megan, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Um, I don't talk to the TV, but I do talk to the Internet. Oh, well, sure. that's, that's not as creepy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Megan, uh, why don't you tell everybody how you are associated with the dudes? Um, Jim, the dude Jim, is that is that how you refer to yourselves as the dudes? Yes. Dudeness. Okay. Duderino. Um, Jim, the, your fellow dude, is my boss at the Gypsy Cafe, 1330 Bingham Street, Carson Street. Very cool. Frecking um, Swear Award winner. Yes, he did win an award. Right, he made us an award-winning podcast. I won an award in the third grade. Well, but that was kind of just for attendance. I, I think they, I think they gave award. one of those to everybody, Frank. They did. I didn't feel special. Well, everybody shows up. Yeah, it was one of those things. I just kind of showed up to the assembly and I got an award. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Let me ask you, um, what kind of a boss is Jim? I mean, does he make you clean up, clean up the grease traps, uh, shoot the rats away? What, what does he make you do? Um, I'm a server. I don't have to do that, but you got to get your food. If your food, mm-mm. he's very on about getting that food out of, out of the kitchen. What kind of place is Jim's restaurant? I mean, just briefly, can you describe it? Um, it's the uh, for dinner we do like kind of Mediterranean, well, gypsy cafes like where the gypsies go. We have the uh, okay. goulash that's our signature dish that Jim makes, and it was on uh, PBQED, which is a local. Station. And then on oh, Sunday, I don't know if Jim's ever mentioned it, we do themed geek brunches, which I am permanent server for because I've got geek cred. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Did the, did the geeks t- tip well? Yes. Or yes, are they yes. saving all their cash for the quarter bins? <laughs> no, actually, the, uh, the geeks tip very well. They tip even better when you appear, when you're, they realize you're just as geeky as they are. <laughs> Dude, that does help, yeah. <laughs> Guess what, everybody? I think we have Jim Dietz in the house. Jim, are you with us? Okay, scratch that. Jim is not with us. Yes, um, I am. Oh, he's here. Hey. Finally. Took me a while. Sorry about that. For some reason, my internet service cut out for a minute there. It happens, sir. Yeah, sorry about that, kids. You still want oh, me to do this introduction? Oh, we're intro- we're in, bro. We're we're introed oh. and we're ready to roll. And right now, we are going to hand it over to Adam Umack, who is the host of our show this evening. I was trying to think of a discussion topic for us to talk about uh, tonight for the Umbrella Academy, and I really had a tough time coming up with this. I think the story is pretty straightforward. There's a couple of little timeline jumps and loops here and there with it, but. You know, we we pick these discussion topics and we pick these uh, trades and these maxi series, you know, to go over. And um, I think what really brought me to center with this and with the Umbrella Academy was that Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba were able to crank this out, and it's actually so good at, at the level at, at for a first uh, debut comic. I mean, I think you know, John, you had mentioned that it got um, the Har- uh, the Harvey Award uh, a couple weekends ago at Baltimore for best new series. Now. I don't know what your expectations were personally. When I first saw this series, I saw the uh, covers and stuff by James Jean. I w- didn't really care for Fables, and I kind of thought that Umbrella Academy would kind of be in the same vein. Um, although I do appreciate it, like uh, James Jean's art, it kind of turned me off. And I will be honest with you, the fact that Gerard, Gerard Way was the writer for this, and he's the lead singer for My Chemical Romance, uh, I had 
zero hope expectations. I don't even know why I picked it up, to be honest with you. But our discussion topic to start this off is crappy music. I want to know what music is terrible. I want to know what songs will you never, ever listen to. What artists will you never listen to. I'm taking this right into the gutter and negative. Personally, for me, if I hear another Gordon Lightfoot song for the rest of my life, uh, I will, much like uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald, sink and drown myself in the bottom of a lake. Your thoughts? I thought you were a real man. I could not believe that. Gordon Lightfoot is yes. a man, okay? <laughs> I'm actually kind of hurt. <laughs> In fact, I'm ending this call now. No, I'm not. Um, God, that's a, I, I actually have to think about that just a little bit. Now, I, I, there, there is some music that I do like that people find crappy. Like, I love Air Supply, but I, I'd have to think about something I really don't like. A you know, little shiver just went up my spine when you said Air Supply. I think. <laughs> I I'm glad I haven't had dinner yet. That was someone well, walking over your grave. Ugh. Do, do you guys like uh, the band Meatloaf? The guy Meatloaf? Or the, the guy? Band? Yeah, the, <laughs> the guy. Out of Hell album. I love that. Everyone I know hates that album. I absolutely adore that album. I think that is just like the pinnacle of rock and roll. <laughs> I can mean not that. get down with the epicness of Meatloaf's music. It, it is very epic. That's it's the best so way to describe epic. it. I, I just, it's just not... I don't know. And you would think that a girl, I, I personally like goth music as one of the many music genres that I like. I would, I would appreciate the epicness of Meatloaf, but I really just, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, I kind of want to slip my wrist every time I hear it. <laughs> you know, well, that's, that's the most popular song on that album. I, that is my least favorite song on that album. It's like but, uh, one of those songs that you can't get away from. Like, it's a song that somebody's going to play on the jukebox, like, towards the end of the night when you're too drunk to really do anything about it at a bar. And you just sit through this. Ah, uh, the memories. 45 minutes. <laughs> I, um, in, in terms of music, that's when I really felt myself become old. I felt like I was always cutting edge. Like, I went to a ton of shows in the city. I saw a lot of, like, quote, alternative and, and rock bands. And I've been to all the Lollapalooza shows, which I don't even know if anybody even knows what Lollapalooza is anymore. And suddenly at, like, 28, I just stopped trying anything new. You know, it all sounds the same. <laughs> it all sounds the same, these crazy kids. You know, like, I started, and, and I'm happy to stick with what I have and I'll check out like the new stuff from bands that I already like but I refuse to try anybody new that you know like even the alternative again I'm doing the quotes with my fingers the alternative music now is so mainstream I mean can it be alternative if it's on every radio station now so you know it lost the luster for me I'll just stick with you know I'll just play the same stuff that I love and forget it you yeah, you know what? It it that's that's just the 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 what happens as, as you get older. I mean, I know I'm sure we were all at an age where it goes, oh, I always like music and stuff, and then we just do get to a point where it's just like everything today just does not like it. I mean, our, our you know our parents went through that, and 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 you know their grandparents went through that, and our older siblings went through that, and it's just it's just generational thing where it's just my music just. You know, your music is not as good as my music, and and I don't know what that is. I guess it's the memories that we have associated with that music. I I don't know, but I I think it'll always be like that. Yeah, 
I have this rule in my classroom that whenever the kids, you know, they're writing, they're working on their homework, I, I'll bring my laptop in or my iPod uh, dock and stuff, and, you know, I'll put some music on um, from, you know, from my playlist, and they always ask me, Mr. Umet, can we bring in some music? Can we bring? No. The answer is no. I answered every question I could at the beginning of the school year, and the answer is always no. Um, I seem to think that no good music has come out since 1997 when Beck released Odelay. And, wow. um, for, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's, don't want to, you know, box myself in or anything, but yeah, it's 1997. That's the day the music died for me. And, um, for me, it was like Beastie Boys, A Tribe Called Quest, um, some of those other guys and stuff too, like, uh, Smashing Pumpkins. But, uh, I will tell you that more than Gordon Lightfoot, if anyone has committed sins against humanity, it's Aerosmith because I cannot stand them and I cannot put my finger on it. I have been pressed. I have been grilled and interviewed. I don't know. I don't care to know. I'll even put it to you like that. I don't even care why I don't like them. I just know that Steven Tyler and Joe Perry are dead to me without even knowing their whole repertoire. Well, this is going to be fun because um, I always try to end the show with music that has something to do with the theme. You know, I, I don't know. I'll, we threw the Batman music in at the end of the Batman episode, and we always do, like, stuff with time for the Watchmen, etc. So for this episode... I'm going to put the worst piece of music that I can find in on the end. And it might be Gordon Lightfoot or Air Supply at this point. Well, uh, if you could read my mind like Gordon Lightfoot, John, uh, you'd know it's good for you and don't even do anything at all. <laughs> I, I just had to let you guys know, I had to Google Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> I just wanted to say that my dad had all those eight tracks and uh, the Oak Ridge Boys and uh, the Gatlin Brothers and... All that assorted music is uh, dead to me. So, and a lot of the um, what do they call it? Uh, contemporary country music. Oh, that's uh, a good yeah, that's a good genre to hate. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> not a fan. Not hey, a fan. Hey Jim, I just had a Google a track. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you know, Thanks, buddy. Um, Already with the old jokes. Good one. Um, going along the lines of, I, I know we got to move on, but uh, about music that's bad and stuff like that. Now this, now this band is not bad. I'll give them props. They're 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 they, they're a very good band, but I don't get them, and I don't. I've never cared for them, and and people just think I'm crazy. It's you two. I've yeah. never liked you two. Um, I know I know they're good, and I know tons of people think they're good. It's just one of those things where they just don't speak to me. I just don't care for them. Hmm. Well, the interesting thing about Gerard Way is that uh, he was, an, I guess he interned at uh, Marvel before he even got the band together. And I guess comics were his first love before the band. And then he got the band together and then he used the clout from the band to actually make a comic. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, like, I know that My Chemical Romance, they got the name of their band from the Irving Walsh novel, Ecstasy, Three Tales of Chemical Romance. And I read that. It's really good. Irving Walsh is one of my favorite authors, so I kind of gave him a little bit of respect for that. At least they read good books. And, and has, yes. has anyone heard that, that Black Parade uh, CD? Not the whole CD. I, I actually love that. I, I love that album. And, and it falls uh, down the line of kind of going back to Meatloaf because it is, it's very over-the-top. It's very dramatic. Oh, but that's that's just a symptom of the larger problem of these young kids today. They're all sad, <laughs> emo, little, uh, you know, 
potty mouth crybabies who, right. you know, they've got the eyeliner on and, you know, the uh, the nose piercing and the uh, pink hair to one side. Now, listen, I'm all up for a good time, but seriously, I mean, you're 12 years old. Get a grip. You know what I mean? You're really? not that depressed. I promise you. Just buy the kid the new Metallica album. Let him rock out. Exactly. Thank you. In my day, it was popped collars and lacrosse t-shirts. Those were the those were the big things. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a look um, at the book here. If you guys think of any lame music uh, while we're doing this, please uh, let's jump in. So, Umbrella Academy started uh, this volume, Apocalypse Suite, started in September of last year, and it went September through January. Um, with all of the issues. So I guess since the timeline's a little wonky, um, well, I'm just going to go over the characters real quick, and we'll jump in issue by issue. I guess the Professor X of the Umbrella Academy itself, now this is, uh, you know, uh, is would be the monocle. In other words, uh, his name is, a.k.a. Sir Reginald Hargreaves. Uh, he, we find out that he's, he's an alien. He's disguised as this wealthy philanthropist uh, inventor, and he more or less goes out and he seeks these children that were born spontaneously back in the day. And he forms together um, this supergroup. And when the book um, begins, we find out that Sir Hargraves is dead. And they all kind of come back together years later. Um, the members of the Umbrella Academy are Space Boy, Luther. He is uh, part, <laughs> uh, well, he's really just a disembodied head at this point that happens to be attached to a gorilla. Um, likewise, there's Kraken, uh, Diego. Uh, Diego's kind of like the uh, Rebel Without a Cause member of the group. Um, the Monocle actually called him a brat. Uh, the rumor, Allison, she's kind of like uh, this kind of uh, Violet Beauregard narcissist uh, we have in the book. Uh, Seance, I think Seance is a pretty cool character. Uh, Klaus has the ability to uh, talk to the dead, levitate. He's got some Jean Grey uh, telekinesis in there, a couple tattoos as well. Um, <laughs> 0.5, called to uh, uh, called as the, the boy, uh, disappears uh, when he was 10 years old and reappears 20 years later. Uh, <laughs> his powers time travel. Don't know if you caught that one. Uh, the horror, Ben is kind of the mystery. Uh, but uh, Ben's power is that he has the ability to use extra-dimensional monsters under his skin. Uh, he's dead. There's a statue of him in front of the Umbrella Academy. Uh, it, it seems that his death is, if not suspect, something that's not talked about, at least in this first trade. And as Dallas is being solicited right now, Volume 2 of the Umbrella Academy, so far for that issue, nothing really has been touched on. And then lastly, to round out, is uh, Vanya. Um, Vanya, who later becomes the White Violin, uh, she's the uh, outsider black sheep, estranged member of the group, however you want to call it. Um, she is not really special. <laughs> she's interested in music, and no joke here, but uh, violin especially. And um, she wrote a tell-all book detailing and chronicling her life uh, with the Umbrella Academy. So we start with the trade here. Um, the trade retails for seventeen ninety-five, but I'm sure we can all get an awesome discount on that online. And um, the first chapter is called uh, The Day the Eiffel Tower Went Berserk. What did you guys think about this initial chapter? I love the beginning of it. It starts off with this wrestling match between the, the strong man and, and uh, a squid. And you, you just look at that opening page, and, and you know you're in for something that's just totally different. You know, it's, and, and even the setup of the story about how these 
how these characters, uh, why they're important or, uh, you know, why they're all together or, or what brings them all together. Uh, I thought it was a great introduction. It, it was so, it was so strange and maybe even a little tongue in cheek is, is kind of what I got from it. Yeah, I, I like the way that, you know, even even from that first page, you know, you flip the page and you find out that it's just a complete coincidence. And and it kind of sets you up for the kind of twisting that he's going to do throughout the book where, you know, one panel you might start to think that he's getting to something and the next panel he totally 180s it on you. It seems like he does it in a way that's like – because I'm the type of person, I'm somewhat skeptical, especially when I'm reading a narrative – when it's like, oh, yeah, this is complete coincidence. And I'm like, is it really? Like, at the end of it, when it has the uh, uh, the end of the first part of the Apocalypse, of the Apocalypse under tab, I'm, I'm sorry, Umbrella Academy Adventure Apocalypse Suite, there are five more chapters to the series, 22 pages per chapter, totaling 132 pages. There are seven members and 72 names on the Eiffel Tower. There's no connection between these names. That automatically makes me go, what's the connection between these names? Right. And that's what got me into it because I actually bought, I have the first two issues without the trade because I bought them back in September and I think October and then it got all wonky the way it came out and I kind of lost interest until the trade came out and I just got the trade. But I remember reading the first one. I'm like, well, this is kind of crazy. I'll have to check it out. One thing I meant by by it being tongue-in-cheek, especially with that last paragraph at at the end of it where it's just kind of, there's all this stuff, but but none of it, is, is related, and, you, you know, are, are they giving us clues to throw us off, or are they giving us clues to help us through, or is the whole thing just, you know, hey, just read it and have fun? I think um, the, the best description of this book I would give is, I, I really, and I know this sounds corny, but I really felt completely like a kid when I was reading this. I think it's Boz art that does it, that it, it, it's so loose and not, not, I'm so used to reading, all, you know, all, all these tight, tight pencils and inks. And I just felt that he was really having fun with when he was doing uh, the, the line work for this issue. And I'd also say that I really think that this book is, a, is really reminiscent of the work of Roald Dahl, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the BFG, the Witches, um, uh, James and the Giant Peach, all that. I, I just really feel that this book, because of the way it's structured, is I almost want to say like British humor or European. Because it's not that it's non sequitur, because, you know, we've seen that in American culture, like Pulp Fiction or whatever else. But I want to say that it's almost like a kid's book, almost, plus science fiction. Or just real bizarre, weird space fantasy mixed in with it, too. Because you have the whole idea of generations and um, not fitting in. And, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen that in, in, in books like that? Not only from, you know, Teen Titans, but beyond. I agree. It's a very uh, European sensibility. I mean, it's their superhero group, but they dress in school uniforms. Um, I really like, and what drew me to the series to begin with was Boss Art. It's very reminiscent to me of, like, Mike Magnolia or Mike Magnolia or... Um, uh, Kevin O'Neill from uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but it has like a, a real, I mean, it looks like loose and everything, but if you really look at it, it's got a lot of like darker lines and tight lines, almost like a Paul Denny or whatever. And as I got sucked into the story, I really got a, um, like a Grant Morrison Doom Patrol vibe off of it, you know? Definitely. Not so much weird, weird for being weird's sake, but weirdness because it made sense in its own way in its own weird universe. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think the book kind of has to be weird considering the subject matter and really how weird the characters are by design. And and the, the family is is so dysfunctional and and but you know in in a wonderful and they're not even they're not even a a real family or an, it's an adopted family that that's just kind of thrown together and then they just have to deal with what it's like to be together and be unique or be these things that, that have actually brought them together and now they have to, to deal with it and live together and and learn to uh to work together even though they have nothing in common other than circumstance i love family stories this book reminds me of the movies of wes anderson like uh rushmore the royal tenenbaums darjeeling limited um, any of those, because I'm such a sucker for this kind of, you know, Incredibles-like family kind of stories. And it's just, I just love the interplay but between these characters. Um, the plot for issue number one, The Day the Eiffel Tower Went Berserk, we kind of get, like Frank and everyone said, we get the backstory of uh, how the Umbrella Academy was assembled. Um, we see that in uh, ten years from that day, uh, an event happens which uh, the <laughs> zombie robot Gustav Eiffel uh, animated his tower, this spaceship, right? And the Umbrella Academy saves Paris. And we get to jump uh, 20 years uh, into the future uh, again, and that's when uh, Space Boy's on the moon. He gets the call, uh, him living in isolation, that uh, Sir Reginald is dead, a.k.a. the monocle. Um, Vanya, at that point, gets a phone call telling her that there's an audition coming up, and when everyone kind of meets back at the mansion, he encounters um, number five, who's back from the future and says that the worst is yet to come. And I think that, talk about defying expectations. I could only imagine if I was on, you know, the high end of this and, and got it when it was coming out, how awesome I would have thought issue number one was. I mean, I was really sold on this. I do like the cinematic transition there um, at the end of the flashback sequence. Mr. Monocle, sir, when I grew up, I wanted to go into space, and so you shall, number one, and so you shall. We turn the page, it's 20 years later, and there he is in space on the moon, keeping a watchful eye over the Earth. It reminds you of that Stanley Kubrick cut in 2001, from the bone to the satellite. It's just this sudden jump in time. Space Boy's robot's name is Ben. And <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that he named the robot after his dead or his dead brother, the horror, Ben. Right. Not to jump ahead, but he also, you, you see a lot of guilt that is expressed towards and from Luther about Ben's death during the course of the book. A lot of, like, I see Diego bringing it up a couple times and even Luther mentioning it himself or, you know, kind of intimating that he felt like he was responsible for Ben's death. Yeah, I think the rumor at one point says it's not your fault, Luther, yeah. about Ben's death. Um, also, the, we see a trick that Alan Moore used quite a bit in Watchmen with the uh, newspapers in the background and Space Boy's uh, headquarters kind of telling the story of what happened to him and what's happened in the 20 years since. Yeah, you know, the coolest thing about this first issue to me and, and what really grabbed me was he moved he moved the story along, but he left these questions that just had you wondering immediately. I mean, again, we just established that it's a family story, but they skip 10 and 20 years ahead. So you're automatically thinking, well, what happened in between all this time? And, and there's supposedly, uh, what's the number of the babies that were spontaneously born? 40-something? 43. Okay, but we only know seven of them. So right away, you feel like you're part of a bigger picture here. You know, where are the other ones? Are we going to see them? 
uh, you know, what happened in all this missing time in between. And that's what really grabbed me about, you know, the first issue. Yeah, and, and when, when you do that 20-year gap, um, especially with Space Boy, I mean, you're going from, from a little boy to suddenly he's, he's a man living on the moon with a gorilla's body. And you, you just have to, the first time I read this, that confused me a little bit. I didn't understand how that, you know, how those two were connected. Of course, in later issues, we, we find, you know, you get the backstory on it, but it's pretty fascinating. I think, I, absolutely, Frank. I mean, I think these cuts are really abrupt. But, I mean, it's, I think it's really, really clever. I cannot argue with a book that puts a man with a gorilla's body on it. I mean, you guys know how much I love Gorilla Grodd, the, um, Detective Chimp, um, Monsieur Mala in the Brain, and uh, then Mr. Pogo, who is a pipe-smoking chimp, even better. I mean, come on. What's not that's, the love? That's Dr. Pogo. Yes, it is Dr. Pogo. She has some respect. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll, I'll kind of and I'll kind of argue a little bit how that's that's a little because by no means is, it, is this story perfect. I think there's a couple elements of it that that need help on it. But um, that part with the Doctor Chip, you know, may, or, or um, Doctor Fogo, I guess we'll learn more about this character maybe in upcoming volumes and stuff. But we don't really know much about him through, throughout the story. On a real quick little thing, in the end of the first issue in the actual comic. There's a little article about Gustav Eiffel that's not in the trade. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Oh. Issue two is called, uh, it's that old cliche you hear uh, whenever you haven't seen one of your family members for a long time. It's called, we only see each other at weddings and funerals. And uh, by my estimation, that's even too much uh, <laughs> when I see some of my family members. Um, issue starts the day after issue one when we find out that Hargraves dives, dies. Um, Space Boy is uh, told that rumors at the mansion, um, they meet in front of the statue of the horror. Um, and then uh, number five describes what happened. Um, when he left, uh, how he came back, Kraken turns up, and I really look at uh, the Kraken and Space Boy as more or less Batman versus Superman. I really got that uh, not just sibling rivalry, but almost heroic rivalry between the two. Plus their approaches are like that. I mean, Space Boy's approach is to go in fist first, and Kraken's you know more of the uh, the uh, you know the the stealthy Batman type guy. I totally get where you're coming from with that. I was going to say the Kraken's also friends with the police, the police commissioner. Uh, or, oh, great point. Yeah, he totally makes that Batman appearance in the back of the commissioner's car later on. You know, and as far as source material goes, um, I think uh, Wade has you know, some pretty good chops as far as what he knows uh, works. So we're at the uh, we're at the funeral, and uh, the monocle's wife arrives. Her dress gets torn away. Oh, guess what? She is a mannequin, just like Kim Cattrall in the terrible '80s movie and sequel. And um, more or less, we get the the idea that this is a creation of Hargreaves. Actually, <laughs> this is kind of like um, uh, the latest issue of Action Comics with the Toy Man when it was revealed that um, his wife was also um, a robot. I kind of got that. Uh, vibe from this as well. Kraken continues to argue with Space Boy. Um, This goes on through, and um, Vanya meets uh, this guy, um, calling himself the conductor of (laughs) the Orchestra Verdement, um, which is German for terribleness, apocalypse suite. Um, They could destroy the world if these notes um, were played accurately. And, you know, with precision. I mean, this this is her gift, right? She has this 
um, amazing gift, but Hargreaves <laughs> is such a complete uh, chump stain and jerk that uh, he'll never indulge Vanya. And I'm really interested to know why he kept her around in uh, opposed to the other, you know, um, 40-some that were found at the beginning. Um, at the mansion, Space Boy and Kraken uh, really get into it violently. Space Boy has his laser up to um, Kraken's face. They're broken up by rumor number five. They reveal that um, the world ended three months after Hargraves' death, and number five kind of has this groundswell with the heroes, and they realize that, you know, this carnival's on fire. It's the Terminots, who's um, from Dr. Terminal, a villain from way back when they were kids. And they go confront the Terminots, the Umbrella Academy has reformed, and the peasants rejoice. I loved when they brought in the Terminots and you really had no idea what was going on. You know, just suddenly the Terminots appear at the carnival. Uh, you know, I, I kind of want to want to bring something up with that. Maybe you guys can, can clue me in because maybe I'm missing out on something. But I, I understand that they were programmed to come out when uh, when Dr. Monocle died. But for me, it just it it's it seemed to me like a very weak excuse to kind of bring the team back together. Did anyone else feel that, or am I missing a clue here? It says in the bottom of the next to the last page that uh, the the um, robots would get together the next time the group assembled, not when the Hargraves died. So that's what triggered them that they're um, that all the group was together in the same area. Oh well, there you go. Okay. I just wanted to say the title page, the uh, the two page spread of the devastation with the newspaper that says it's a perfect day in the center. Right. I love that art. I mean, it's just beautiful. The school bus, the uh, clever crisp cereal that we know Dr. Hargraves invented. And then the whole story about how number five is trapped in the future for what is it? 50, 50 years trying to figure out his way back to the past. And it's I, I love that segment. I love that whole you know, he, he he just has to work on it and figure it out. And he's, you know, he has nothing to do but, but just work on this formula to try to figure out how to get home. I just, I, that that whole section is just is very cool. Yeah, I even like the page before, you know, as a, as a 10-year-old boy, at first he thinks it's great and he's just lopping heads off of statues and stuffed animals and playing with swords. And then eventually he gets bored and realizes that, you know, he's alone. It's, I, I find it also interesting that, he gets the the final clue from a mannequin, and his mother, quote unquote, is a mannequin. I found that a interesting correlation. Right. I really like the character of the monocle, aka Hargraves, because he is this weird mix of Captain Von Trapp from The Sound of Music, which is such a strict, strict, unnecessarily so father. He's like I said, Professor X. He's part Willy Wonka. He's part uh, scientist from uh, Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> you know, it's just such a weird combination. Plus, he's disguised as a human, um, so that's the whole Martian Manhunter thing. And plus, he has been knighted by the Queen, which is the whole, you know, Elton John thing. So <laughs> go with it, Reno. The Terminots, they, they all have letters assigned to them. Did, did anyone, is, that, is there a clue in there? Did that spell anything out? Not to my knowledge. There's a C, a B, and L, a V, a T, a J, and a D. I guess no one. I guess no one really picked up on anything or noticed anything because I couldn't figure anything out. No. Are they for the first names of the kids: Luther, Diego, Ben, Vanya. Maybe there's one for each one of them. Oh, there you go. Oh, wow! All right. See, I knew they kept me around for something, and uh, it's the orchestra. <laughs> Ver- it's the orchestra Verdampton. That's how you say that. <laughs> 
They're a determinant yeah. college. Sorry. But uh, but yeah, we 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 start to put uh, a couple more pieces together of the story about how things are are slowly coming together and about this uh, about this crazy symphony um, that um, that you know they, they they want to destroy the world eventually. And we even get to see uh, what what the what mom is made out of, which was a uh, which was a wonderful surprise. I mean, that just that took me back. It was so amazing. I did. I think I laughed out loud when her coat got got pulled away, and it revealed that she's a a mannequin with with organs and uh, and no arms. It's she's just so wonderfully she's, bizarre. She's like a dress form on wheels with organs and a head. Also, I like the fact that um, a musician is writing this, and it's a musical. You know, it's an orchestra. It's a piece of music that can destroy the world. You know, he describes it as uh, part, you know, two parts Faust, three parts La Boheme, a dash of Messiah, and a bit of my own cantata. Yeah, and I think Wade definitely hit the ingredients right um, as far as it. I mean, we don't really get much about the conductor. I don't think much is needed. We don't get much about Dr. Terminus either. Um, in Chapter 3, Dr. Or Dr. Terminal's answer, in Chapter 3, Dr. Terminal's answer. But um, he's, he's got quite a cast. I'll, I'll put it to you that way in this book. I'd argue that, that you know I, I want a little bit more, but that could be um, that could be the, the the writer just giving you a taste of something, and hopefully you'll come back for you know volume two, you know may, may, maybe that that's his thinking. But because you you do get you you do get these intriguing little bits, and I just I just always wanted more. Right, it's almost like a lost episode. Every you know every every little bit that the story moves on, there's three more questions that could be answered. Do you really think that there's some kind of overarching central unifying concept that's that's holding this book together? I know Megan you've brought that up earlier, but I'm not really convinced that there is one just yet. I mean, I know that there's a backstory from the last 20 years, but I don't know if I'm sold on the idea that I mean, if anything is the mystery, it's the mystery of uh, how the horror died and what exactly that meant to um, Luther and everyone else, right? Right. Well, like, there's, there's a bunch of questions that just come up, like, he, he only found seven. Is, was it, like, could you say it was, like, a fatalist thing that he found the seven that he found? And did he know that Vanya was going to play the part that she was going to? And that what made him act the way he did towards her? And, like, these questions, like, were the questions that would pop up, and it made me wonder as to whether or not everything... It was all part of a bigger story, and Hargreaves' knowledge of how how much of that knowledge of the story he had. The children. It says the children were either abandoned or put up for adoption. The ones who survived. Yeah. So that's. It says forty three were born, but I would imagine that because there's the unfortunate panel on page two that um, has the um, the birth mother and the baby on the subway, which does not suggest that they all made it. So I think those numbers, based off of you know those two captions, um, are a little bit lower than forty-three. Like I don't think all forty-two of them, because because um, Ben's dead, um, are alive right now. I this could just be I I think fuzzy that, math. I that there's more than seven of them running around. Like you know, you know. They're, oh, they're I'll, I'll believe that one. I I just think that maybe this is just as arbitrary as everything else in the book is too. I think the plan was to leave open doors. And they might not have mapped out where those doors are going to lead to, but they're certainly leaving spaces that can be filled in later. I'm hoping Gerard Way will, will give us like the um, 
like the anti uh, umbrella academy at some point you know uh you know whatever you call them you know the the slicker academy or i don't know whatever <laughs> but um but you, you know i and and I agree with you both, Johnny and Adam, that I, I think Gerard Way left uh, a lot of doors open, maybe not knowing how he was going to fill those doors up or, or fill that in just yet, but, you know, leave some doors open to kind of, you know, build on some mystery. It's smart for him as a writer, too, to leave all these uh, areas of, of gray that he can later go in and fill in, like he's doing with the new miniseries about Dallas. It's only vaguely referenced in this story, but he's, you know, flushing it out for a full story. In issue three, um, this starts with a flashback from Rumor. She's caught in a daze, kind of um, remembering when she was actually being uh, held captive by Dr. Terminal. They go back to reality quickly, um, and the Terminots are, you know, attacking the carnival at full force. Um, at this point, since they're all assembled, um, Vanya's there, um, and what's being said is uh, she's almost, uh, you know, completely Kentucky fried by the Terminots. Um, Kraken saves her and, and completely says, you know, it's time for you to get lost, get out of here, you have nothing. Just perpetuating every lie and terrible thing that was said to her in childhood, really, from Hargreaves. I think that uh, he and Kraken are cut from the same cloth and their emotional distance in some respects for, for the adopted father and, and son. Um, the issue number three ends with Vanya um, in the theater and more or less deciding with the orchestra that, okay, we're going to give them a performance they'll never forget. Now, she has her arm torn off by Dr. Terminus. Is that right? When she's yes. sitting in the chair, we can see that she, there's definitely half an arm? Yes. Okay, but she's not missing an arm when we come back to reality? No, I, would, I assume that it was reattached at some point. Right, again, it could be something that they fill in later or... Yeah, like... Yeah, that it's it's one of those stories that we haven't gotten yet. Like after everything was over, they reattached her arm, or she has bionic arm, or right. I would expect that she would have like a monkey arm. That would have explained everything, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe he figured he'd done he'd done monkeys before, and right. he wanted something different with Sonya. Or, or know, maybe she could be magic or time traveling, or you know, who knows? Or maybe all she said was, "I heard a rumor that my arm grew back." Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. My favorite uh, line in this whole issue is, this is the end of the line, Terminal. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the uh, the kid and, and the robo with the Charlie Brown t-shirt on. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's cute. I do have to disagree with the statements that the Kraken and um, Dr. Hargreaves were kind of the same emotional cloth because you definitely, I definitely get the sense that the Kraken is mad at Vanya. Like, he's, he's angry at her. So they're resentful. Yeah, well, that and, like, well, okay, I kind of, I read one of the other, a couple of the other online e-comics that Dark Horse has on their MySpace page, and one of them's a story between the Kra- about the Kraken and Vanya and the band that they had when they were teenagers. And they, Vanya was going to get sent away because Dr. Hargreaves disagreed with them having a punk band, and they were called the Primates. And uh, the Kraken was going to leave with her, and then he ended up getting held up, and she left. And he does say at one point, he said, you left. Yeah, you left. And I think that he's angry at her for leaving, because I think he did feel some solidarity with her as kind of like an outcast of the group, but in a different way. I totally agree. It seems like he's the only one that's close to her, you know. Yeah. 
And I, you know, I, I feel so bad for her because she really just is. She's just, you know, because she's supposedly not special. I mean, she's just she's just left behind. You know, n- nobody really seems to care for her, or respect respect her for that matter. I mean, Kraken yeah. does to a point, but it's just I just feel so bad for the character, and and I she and she doesn't really seem to be doing anything or have done anything wrong. Yeah, except for she was born in she was born at this specific time to some woman. Oh, she was born, and she has to pay for yeah. it. Yeah. It's sad. Her story is quite sad. Yeah, if she walked away from the group and then wrote a tell-all book and, like, shut Kraken out, and he, she was the only one he actually felt a connection to, then it t- makes total sense that he would be feel so betrayed in this issue by her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I honestly think him sending her away is kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for her. Emotionally, totally. hard. It's all about her family. Totally, like the only mem- family member that she has any closeness to at all, other than Doctor Pogo, is uh, get, you know saying, "Get the heck out of here." I used to have a sister, but not anymore. Yeah. Hmm. You guys have anything else for issue number three? I do love how at the end of every issue they have like some arbitrary or seemingly arbitrary, like a quote or disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, and at the end of this one, it's like a tally of the Rodrid injuries and <laughs> the percentage of carnage that was that had at the carnival that's um that's an interesting kind of uh little twist on uh how how this ending is um dan actually let me borrow a book it's called the areas of my expertise by john hodgman and it it does you know these kind of uh humorous charts graphs tables um non sequitur quotes and stuff like that um they, they talk about hobos furry lobsters all kind of strange things so um, if you guys uh, like the Umbrella Academy or if you're picking up what Gerard is putting down here, um, definitely check out the areas of my expertise. We'll put a link to it on the forums. Excellent book. I'll check it out. Um, issue number four is called <laughs> Baby, I'll Be Your Frankenstein. And we start this issue again with a flashback. Vanya's about 12 years old, and like Jim just said, she runs uh, into her room in the Academy, um, which is really, really huge for only seven kids. <laughs> Um, which I think still kind of speaks to the idea that there might be other ones. At this point, we flash forward after her breakdown when she's a kid uh, to the conductor, in which case she gets transformed, in, which we find out later is into um, this uh, new enemy for the Umbrella Academy, uh, the white violin. I love her costume. Absolutely love it. Totally. I'm actually going to for Halloween. That's pretty awesome. No joke. Awesome. I a white violin for Halloween. Yeah, I don't know if Megan told you she's a uh, a master at uh, stage effects and costuming. No, oh, I'm not. Wow. I want to be. I'm a, yeah, I'm a special effects makeup artist. <laughs> well, the um, the I, I don't know what it is about that white violin uh, um, costume, but I, I mean, it's just it's it's just really it really took me back, and I thought it was such a neat idea and concept, and you, you know, marrying the uh, the human form with with the violin form, it's just it's just genius. Are you familiar with the artist Man Ray? He was a Dada artist in 1920. Yeah, yeah, I am. He, he he did a photograph with the woman's back with F-holes in it, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's actually the, what I thought of, and I don't know if that was one of the inspirations for the white violin for her costuming, but that's what it that's what it reminded me of was that paint or that picture originally when yeah. I first saw it. But I think it's it's gorgeous. Like I just think it's so elegant and one of the better appreciations of the female form that I've seen in comic books. (laughs) (laughs) 
when um, the transformation uh, is complete, uh, Number Five and Doctor Pogo are flying across the city, and they have this discourse between the two of them, asking whether or not the world is really worth saving. And where have we seen this before, guys? We've seen this in Thor. We've seen this in Batman Year One. We've seen this in uh, Rorschach's dialogue in The Watchmen. Um, and it cuts back, and immediately um, the white violin is born, and it says. Um, Sounds like angels suffocating. I can hear it. It's beautiful. Um, I did like re- that one. Oh, that's great. That reminded me um, of when Fight Club, when Tyler Durden said, I, I wanted to destroy something beautiful. Like, she completely has this crazed, psychotic uh, look about her without the full reveal on just yet. She's still tied down and strapped uh, to the... to the. Um... Yeah, I was going to ask if they were flying down Rorschach Street. <laughs> I do love all the decadence that that's down there. I mean, because you have a clown in one frame, you have you know you have two young ladies who are obviously you know fighting over over you know locations, and and you have chimps, and you even have that one shot that's that's kind of a disconnect of a of an older woman uh, watering her plants, and she she has a picture of Jesus, and so and and, and yet she's above all this this decadence, you know. But she's I guess she's she's you know, trying to to have her own little world of of you know peace and and and, and what she needs. At the academy, uh, Kraken appears and he starts a fight over um, who Hargreaves loved the most. Uh, <laughs> Daddy complex start with uh, this after uh, Kraken leaves. Um, the rest of the Umbrella Academy decide to go on patrol to make sure the city's safe. Um, this is the real superheroing, I think, that we've seen from them uh, at all during the book. In any case, uh, Five and Pogo have coffee the diner until um, a bunch of guys burst in looking for number five. Uh, back at the Icarus, uh, the conductor reveals um, La Viole, uh, my French, is uh, non-existent. La Viole Blanche, the white violin. Um, she's pure white. The design's out of this uh, out of this world. You know that the conductor is crazy because he's killing people in the orchestra left and right. <laughs> and in the uh, ultimate uh, act of being an awesome villain, uh, the first thing she does is blow the conductor in half. Uh, seriously, round of applause. Awesome, awesome panel. Um, that, that panel is what made me want to be her for Halloween, honestly. I was like, she's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the person who creates her, you know, she destroys him. It's just so funny and so ironic and just so wicked. Has anybody here played the game Bioshock? Because this is very reminiscent of part of that game. They have like a pleasure area with the theater, and the guy who runs it, his name is Sandra Cohen, and he has these people who are he's trying to make play and when they if they mess up at all with the music they are killed immediately and it's same the same kind of psychotic cabaret feel that's going on here uh it's a great game i recommend it to anybody wow um at this point um she says um well <laughs> we're gonna do it we're gonna do it up they give her a standing ovation brothers and sisters listen to me gather your trumpets cellos your harps lend me your lives and prepare for demise for tonight, we end the Umbrella Academy, and tomorrow we end the world. Quite the uh, Julius Caesar, uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ear speech from her. And that ends issue number four, and we're almost done um, with the whole trade. Guys, what do you think about number four? Um, I will have to point out that I, when Kraken says he didn't love any of us, honestly, and that fight of who Hargreaves loved the most, 
I kind of want to put my money on Vanya because I think that maybe he continually told her because in um, when the conductor is going through Hargreaves' notes, he talks about how Vanya Hargreaves says that Vanya is the most dangerous of all of them. I think honestly he said that he he was the way he was to her to suppress her powers to keep her from being dangerous. But that's that makes, that makes perfect sense. The uh, the title is from a uh, Alice Cooper song. Baby, I'll be your Frankenstein. And my favorite line in this issue, actually, is, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to make you a star. Smile. I like, um, there's there's one, it's like half a splash page, where uh, Kraken is, is fixing himself up. Um, you know, he's, he's, got his, he's got his shirt off, and he's bandaging himself, and he's bleeding. That's where it really said, you know, it, that's Daredevil, that's Batman. You know, it, it gives you... It definitely gave you a look into what kind of hero he is, kind of like what we had talked about earlier with Space Boy being Superman and, you know, Kraken being um, more of a Batman character. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Space Boy has that whole Superman thing of defending the Earth from aliens as well, I mean, for big threats. And Kraken seems, you know, more the stealth undercover Batman t- character. I totally, totally see where you're going there uh, with there. Even the way, like, Space Boy gorilla body kind of is reminiscent of, like, the big chest. Like the it's the way his chest is puffed out, and when you see like every time I think of Superman, I think of like big puffed out chest crowd. You know, it's just it's just reminiscent of the body type. Although Batman's a slouch. Um, just just a point of clarification. Uh, this did we ever find out why the why the the Terminus guys uh, go into the diner for number five? I mean, is that that ever clarified, or did I miss that? Are those the Terminus guys too? Um, I thought I thought so. Or was it? What did their shirt say? Temps. temps. Oh, temps. Do we ever know like why they were after that? Why he was? Why they were after number five? Number five says later to Doctor Pogo that he had to do things. He, there were certain things he had to do to get back to that time. So it might have something to do with him and how he got back okay. from the and what he had to go through. Yeah, I took that they were from the future, like chasing him down type of thing. Like, oh, nice. Okay. You know, he shouldn't be time jumping, or maybe he escaped from, and he was wanted at that time, so they're like chasing him now. That's totally a guess, but that's just how I read into it. Well, isn't part of the whole time travel like a temporal rift, like a rift in time? Maybe that's what temps means. Mm. Oh, there you go. I mean, they've got you know what I would guess would be time traveling. Gear on, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah. Number five refers to them as being a bunch of ruffians out joyriding for kicks. And as Pogo starts to question him, he uh, looks through the monocle and sees what the monocle would have seen. And he sees back into Pogo's past of uh, you know being bought and tested upon and experimented, and it causes him to pass out. It's just so much you can't take it all. Yeah, and I guess that brings us into number five, uh, issue five, pretty much. Yeah, you um, start off with the inspector, like Commissioner Gordon character. Yeah, really investigating the crime scene, uh, which is awesome. Look at all the blood, sweet. Um, <laughs> they're interviewing and watches. There's watches all over the place in there. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's like Watchmen. Oh, watches no. all over the place. Wow. I'll do a uh, go to the well for that one, man. Um, and what Jim uh, referenced earlier, there's uh, quite the Batman scene where. Uh, Kraken pops up and says, uh, you know, those things are going to kill you <laughs> um, to uh, Lupo. Um, the story uh, gets back into gear with uh, number five searching through um, 
Sir Hargreaves uh, room at the academy. Uh, they're looking. He's looking for a gun to more or less end his own life um, when the world uh, comes to an end. But instead, finds uh, the monocle, which we guys, which we just brought up, who more or less uh, shows the truth. And it's interesting to know that if Hargreaves had the monocle all along, this kind of uh, future or I guess true vision, then he really did know that Space Boy would be in the stars. He really did or at least really perpetuated the lie that um, Vanya was a nothing, you know? So, I mean, his directness was probably a, well, a direct result of him knowing the exact nature of these kids, which would lead me to guess that he had an easy time picking out which ones were the special ones. Rumor and Space Boy um, are standing on a building. They're drinking coffee, which was um, what uh, Lupo found uh, <laughs> the waitress doing earlier, they discuss um, Rumor's daughter. Her name is Claire. Uh, at this point, uh, Space Boy asks um, whether or not Rumor's lost her powers. And there's a few things we can talk about with that in a second. Um, so after a while, um, White Violin visits the Academy, destroys everything, um, destroys the statue of Ben up front, and con- uh, <laughs> continues to blow the monkey's brains out. Sad. Um, rumor Space Boy Seance, who hasn't really been around that much, but he has uh, some good uh, high notes uh, next issue, turn up, um, plot ends with the newspaper we saw on the splash page Jim talked about saying, uh, it's a perfect day. <laughs> um, from this, we can jump into issue six. What do you guys think about number five? Uh, while I did like it, I did have a little bit of problem with the with the lieutenant's part, and this goes towards the whole story, but... Um, he, for me, he, while he's a new character introduced, he didn't really, as far as I could tell, play a very important role in this, other than just being introduced. Tell me, I think he'll be coming up later, maybe later stories or in backstories. Maybe to be like he's introduced, but he's not as important to this story as maybe he will be in a later story down the road. Yeah, and and, that, and that's what I'm hoping. You know, I'm sure he's he's going to play. You know, so, because apparently him and Kraken have some type of a past relationship. They've worked together or something like that. But, you know, he's just kind of introduced and he just doesn't really play a, a, an important role throughout throughout this or, or the remainder of the story. Unless, again, I'm missing something. I think the name, too, Lupo, is a nod to Poe's uh, Arsene Lupin from uh, the uh, Purloin Letter. He was also a policeman. Right. What was the Edgar Allan Poe short story about um, the ape that killed uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue? Wasn't that Murders Lupo Murders in the well? Rue Morgue. That was Lupin as well. We only do, um, we do the Telltale Heart, we do the Raven, and sometimes we do Cask of Amontillado um, at school. But um, I tried to do Rue Morgue uh, one year. It, it just didn't work. The kids weren't with it. You know, and they're like, a gorilla? Uh, whatever. <laughs> what grade do you teach? Uh, eighth grade. Eighth grade. Mm-hmm. English? We try. Yeah. <laughs> My mom's a 10th grade English teacher, and I was actually talking to her before I got on with you guys, and I was telling her that I was going to be doing this podcast, and I was telling her general, like generally what we were going to be doing, and my mother now wants to teach a comic book in her class. Nice. She's, I, she wants to do Watchmen, but she doesn't think it's going to be able to get past the school board for the content, because I was uh, giving her a view of that, but she might do mouths instead. We're actually um, doing mouths right now in class. Uh, we have uh, block scheduling, so I have uh, one class for 45 minutes, and then the next day I have the same kids for 90 minutes the next day. 
And cool. whenever we have the 90-minute periods, um, that's pretty rough for 12-year-olds, I might add. <laughs> um, 90 minutes of me. Could you imagine that? Enough. Anyway. No. Uh, I do it every other Sunday. Hey. <laughs> that's enough for me. <laughs> um, but whenever we have the 90-minute periods, we do uh, 20 minutes of silent sustained reading at the end. And um, mm-hmm. my kids, uh, we have like six books that I picked at the beginning of the year. And the plan is that the kids can get through at least four of them throughout the year. And um, we're doing Mouse right now, and we're also doing Mouse Guard, which is pretty cool. So um, for for that grade, that's pretty cool. But, you know, we also do, like, uh, I guess an off-the-rack segment of class on Wednesdays and stuff, too. So the kids were pretty jazzed to hear about, um, oh, my gosh, Gerard Way, he's so dreamy. But they didn't say dreamy. <laughs> hey, what do you guys make of um, – there's a panel where Space Boy and, and Rumor are on the roof, and they're having cocoa, I guess? And then on the right, in the building, in the background, there's like one of those all-seeing eye. See that big emblem, the upside-down triangle with the eyeball in the middle? Yeah, like the E Pluribus Unum out of many one. Right. Illuminati. If you look at the uh, sp- uh, the spread uh, with number five in the rubble, I think that's issue two, uh, that same symbol is bent and broken in the rubble. Mm, very cool. And I bet you that's just Gerard ways of just kind of putting something in there that Maybe it'll play out in the future future series. Right. Um, I did, uh, going back to Lupin, I don't know if you guys noticed his license plate. I love Lupo on his car. <laughs> it does, yeah. Going back to the scene with Space Boy and Rumor, it's interesting because he asked her if she lost her powers, and then later he's, she says, I heard a rumor that you wanted to kiss me since you were eight years old. And they kiss, and you're not sure whether she's using her power or not. It's kind of a weird power to be able to write. I mean, anything that happens, she can just say she heard a rumor that it didn't happen. So it's a difficult, you know how we were saying with the arm? Well, she could have just said she heard a rumor that her arm didn't fall off. Well, in that case, then she could say she heard a rumor that none of this happened. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's one of those things where she has to feel it to know that she can say it. because, Because with that power, she could control the universe. I mean, she could destroy the universe. Right. You know, maybe it's there, there's just something in her psyche that tells her she can say it or she can't say it. I mean, I don't know. Like at the 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 one shot at the end of the trade where she a lie she was telling so she could sneak out formed a whole nother her. Right. That's like uh, that makes me question exactly how far reaching her powers truly are. She could clone pretty much clone herself. Uh, this character reminded me of Elizabeth Chandra. If you guys read J. Michael Straczynski's uh, Rising Stars, that might sound familiar to you. Um, Elizabeth um, was one of the specials in that book, and she could appear like the most beautiful woman as the most beautiful woman in the world to anyone who was ever looking at her. Later in that book, she figured out how to love people other than lust, and that was kind of her own um, evolution as a character. But I. This kind of really uh, deceptive, like uh, almost femme fatale quality that rumor has is really a, a, a nice spin on things. Well, she's the only one that tried any any in any way at all to have a, a normal, you know, quote unquote life. You know, she had a boyfriend outside the group. She had a daughter, and she tried to make a life for herself outside the group. And yet here she is back again with uh, the kid she grew up with. If, if I had a gun to my head and if I was to put money on it, I think it's a complete. Uh, I think it's a complete joke. I don't think she has a family at all. It's just her powers. Um, I think she's probably worse off than we think. But that's just me trying to think of you know a little hitch to throw in to the reader down the road. But and you know, hey, who knows? Maybe it's true. 
Well, it's kind of like I, I would wonder whether or not a child born with their circumstances would be able to procreate anyway. Because usually, like, children born the next... I don't know. I would just assume they couldn't have their children. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, folks, um, we're at the... Uh... Uh, the climax here, uh, the finale, which is exactly what number six is called, finale, or brothers and sisters, I am an atomic bomb. I like the title of this issue because this reminded me of how, how I learned to stop caring and love the bomb, you know, um, okay. from, Stan, from Stanley Kubrick. I really, really like that. Um, the plot of this one follows uh, the death of Pogo, and everyone sets out to, um, to find Vanya, a.k.a. the white violin, and her plans to end the world. Um, seance is sent uh, via the, the televator, uh, one of um, the Monocle's inventions, while everybody else goes to the theater. Kraken tries to kill her, but, you know, he's the softy at heart, I guess. I was wrong on that one. <laughs> and uh, gets knocked around. Um, Space Boy actually abandons um, number five and Kraken to, uh, to battle all the people in the orchestra while he also rushes uh, Allison to the hospital. The orchestra uh, keeps playing uh, Doomsday, the Apocalypse is Coming, and she says, uh, the, there's no use fighting, it's going to end anyway, don't worry about it. And at that point, Seance arrives, and <laughs> he, has the <laughs> he has Igor Stravinsky, the Manchester Children's Orchestra, a few members of an aboriginal tribe, <laughs> and uh, they, this seems to be like the uh, light side versus dark side um, <laughs> of uh, music. It's funny that they, uh, that they choose the Ride of Spring because... My understanding is when that was first performed, that actually caused a riot uh, because it was so different. And so, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think we're talking about the 1930s, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, yeah, I had never heard that. Um, I think it might have been earlier than that because um, I do believe, have any of you read The Lost Girls? Uh, no, I wouldn't stay out of prison. I'm not reading Lost Girls, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, uh, 1913 is when it premieres. Yeah, okay. so it was during the Lost Girls. That's actually they were at the rate of spring, and the three of them start making out, and that's what starts the riot. And that, and that, and that timeline, and that story is that the three Wendy, Dorothy, and um, Alice going at it during the rate of spring in the audience. I know I was in a Parliament Funkadelic concert uh, about t uh, a few years ago, and um, <laughs> I was um, violent and waving around, but I was just doing hippie dances and stuff. Um, have you guys ever had any weird concert experiences? <laughs> I win. I fell off a 30-foot balcony at a helmet show. Nice. <laughs> Dislocated my hips. I was drunk trying to jump from one balcony to another and fell to the concert floor below. You know, I went to a Neil Diamond concert once. It got a little crazy. Just got a little when he started singing, um, um, you know, America. We everyone just went a little nuts, and things just got yeah. When the crazy. the blue hairs get like three or four wine coolers in them, ooh boy! <laughs> that that was the crowd too. You just you just pinned it. That's exactly what the crowd was. The support hosts are coming, coming off. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, we had Buster Rhymes. Uh, I, I, would, I didn't go to Gettysburg College, but it was close enough to uh, Shippensburg that when Buster Rhymes came to Gettysburg College, uh, <laughs> he had a few choice words for all of us because um, there was only about a hundred people there, <laughs> and evidently it like completely bankrupted the student union for two years after that. There was hardly anybody there. Since we're on a tangent, Buster Rhymes is from the town next to mine. His name is Trevor Smith. And uh, a friend of mine taught him in phys ed, 
and I was um, actually there um, observing, and the teacher said, Trevor Smith, for, you know, for attendance, and he said, he stood up, this is Buster Rhymes, as Tre- Trevor Smith, stood up and said, uh, I'm Muslim now, please call me Shahid, and my friend said, shut up, Trevor, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, because actually... Um... That's what Flatbush, right? Brooklyn Avenue. It's Uniondale, New York. The rest of the guys and the leaders of the new school are from Flatbush. I was but anyway, Chuck D from um, Public, Public Enemy. Enemy gave him his name. Yeah, he's from Roosevelt, Chuck D, which is right around here too. Strong Island, man. It does make total sense they do the Rite of Spring though, because that music is so tuned into like rebirth and the the coming of life and everything. Though it makes sense that would be the antidote. To the orchestra of Redempton, you know. Oh, kind of there you go. There you go. Better bring it back. Yeah, really. <laughs> I thought by this issue, I had gotten used to the flow of the crazy things that were going to happen, and that you know I, I wouldn't be surprised by anything else. And then when she slits Rumor's throat, and then in the next page, number five puts his fist through that guy's head. You know, mm-hmm. it it won me over again. I mean, they're they're taking chances with with people who you imagine will be main characters throughout this whole thing. But I mean, now we have rumor who who you know by the end you find out she, you know, she's her powers are greatly affected, and uh, and even the white violin now she, you know, I, I don't know if we've gotten to that point yet, but I mean she is is you know permanently um, different because of the events that happen here. The epilogue of the story follows uh, number five um, explaining to every, well, ex- explaining more or less what happened. Um, the orchestra was playing so fiercely that a part of the moon ch- uh, <laughs> hurtled toward Earth. Um, Seamus was able to grab it and toss it uh, using telekinesis. We find that rumors okay. Vanya uh, was saved from uh, a last minute. The bullet more or less missed, missed the vital portions. However, she'll be uh, eating hospital jello and having her pills crushed in applesauce for the rest of her life because now she is a vegetable. And she'll never, Allison, will, you know, will never be able to speak again. Um, Vanya won't be able to play the violin. So this really is a group changed, um, which really calls into question Allison's powers now at this point. Um, the group returns to the academy. We find that the Eiffel Tower <laughs> landed on top of the building. Um, pretty ironic, I think, uh, from how the story began. And uh, this ends with Space Boy and Kraken more or less deciding and bringing back that brotherhood bond to rebuild the, uh, the academy. And, well, there's no time like the present to have a sandwich. And that's exactly how the story ends. <laughs> I didn't understand at first why they didn't include the little article about Gustav Eiffel that was in the first issue in the trade, because it says in the trade, or in the first issue, that the Eiffel Tower landed on the moon and that Space Boy watches over it. Ah. It says, I've got it handy still, um, the Eiffel Tower is presently located on the Earth's moon where it eventually crashed. Agent 00.1, a.k.a. Space Boy, has remained custodian over the estranged monument for, from its post at Annihilation Control. Well, if it ended up on the moon and then a chunk of the moon came down to Earth, maybe it fell off the chunk and then fell on the Umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, I buy that. I fall out by that. <laughs> the really interesting part of this to me was 
how connected Rumor and Space Boy got in just that one conversation. I mean, Space Boy's willing to let, let the whole world go and be destroyed just to save Rumor's life. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely he definitely has very, very strong, you know, romantic feelings towards her that I guess he feels he can't even express because of his physical condition. I mean, somewhere in the book, he even talks about, you know, talking about how he'd like to have a family someday, but that's the least of his worries because of, you know, his current physical state. I like uh, five on the milk carton. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and his surprise look yeah. on the milk yeah. carton. <laughs> it is cute. I was actually just going to ask you guys if you thought that maybe the rumor manipulated Space Boy a little bit with her powers to make sure that she had protector. Well, I was going to say, if you look at a rumor in the hospital bed, her arm's still there. So I don't know whether that speaks to whether she still does have her arm or, like, if she said it, it's truth until someone calls her on it. You know what I mean? So I'm not really sure what that means. The point is, I guess she can't say anything else. But that'd be interesting if, you know, she could somehow write truth or lie or, or whatever the case may be after that. Or maybe the loss of her voice will actually strengthen her mental ability to project her thoughts. To just mentally project it as a form of almost like um, uh, telepathy. You know, I think it's more open door stuff that he's left. You know, maybe maybe we'll get it in, you know, a trade down the road or maybe we won't. Um, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Just to jump in, look at the um, – I'm across from Space Boy with Rumor in the hospital bed. I'm across the page on that same panel. The police officers have the eyeball in the triangle on their helmets. Oh, yeah. Then that, that has to be like a law enforcement um, logo. Right. And again, you know, they just kind of threw it in. They didn't explain anything, and maybe somewhere down the road, you know, we'll be dealing with them. Yeah, and, you know, when they talk about, um, you know, where the Umbrella Academy is and stuff, they just call it the city. So I could I could go either way on that right now, John. I could say that, okay, maybe there's some kind of grand conspiracy within the department, or maybe that's just a catch, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, of, the, of the logo. So Exactly. Hey, Megan, let me ask you a question here. Um, you said that you've got the floppies, you've got the trade. Uh, they have just solicited about a month ago. Um, this Apocalypse, Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite Deluxe uh, Super Duper Edition. Uh, this bad boy is stickered on Amazon at 50 large. Uh, are you going to buy it? No, no. I might buy it later in life, but I already have the trade and I have, well, I have the first and second issue of the floppies. If I were to do anything, I'd probably go back and get the rest of the other, the other four floppies first. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that, too, with all the stuff that you said, all the, well, it seems to be prose pieces, where have we heard that before, um, that are in there. I, I want to grab the singles now, too. Yeah, like, I didn't know, I completely didn't know that until I wikied it. I'd forgotten, because I read it last year and just put it in a bag and stuck it in my long box and kind of forgot about it and then bought the trade. And I didn't think to go back to the actual floppies, because I didn't think there'd be any more, because usually the trade has everything the floppies contain. Yeah, you know, I, I um, just to, uh, if anybody's interested, I, I went searching for original art just to see, you know, when we cover a book, it's always interesting to see what the pages go for or what the right. situation is. And um, I couldn't find any. So I emailed, you know, there was a contact us link on Gabriel's um, website. And I actually got an email back from him, or at least it was sent from his email. And he said that big 
uh, big news was on the way for original art for the Umbrella Academy and to keep checking the site. So apparently, you know, they may start selling it right from the from Gabriel's website. But uh, I wasn't able to find anything out there now. Hey, did you guys? Was there any significance to the name of the piano movers who gave them a ride back to the uh, back to the uh, the headquarters, or was that just? I mean, was there any type of significance there, or was it just a throwaway? I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Well, Horatio would be like Horatio Hornblower or Horatio from Hamlet, but I can't. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. No. Well, I guess, um, you know, to wrap it up, um, you can actually jump in and take a look at the Umbrella Academy on its MySpace page and also on the Dark Horse page. Um, there have been a few short stories that have been released, but um, one was called um, The Internet Preview for, for Dallas that Megan just talked about. Also, uh, there's one called But the Past Ain't Through With You, Safe and Sound, and also Anyway But Here. I think that this book, I guess to wrap things up, folks, and you need to tell me uh, whether I'm completely off the mark here, but this is such a good Dark Horse book. I mean, if you put the Umbrella Academy next to Hellboy, which I know is pretty lofty, but if you put the idea of, okay, maybe BPRD is a better fit, because Abe and Johan and Liz, they're such a weird, messed up family on this weird, strange quest and uh, journey together. I think that uh, Umbrella Academy is a really good companion to uh, Dark Horse's line in general. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think I think you can throw Fear Agent right in with it. Fear Agent kind of has similarities, you know, in terms of the family aspect and just the weird stuff happening that you kind of have to just take with the, with the flow and see where it leads you. Another book that uh, the Umbrella Academy is very reminiscent of is an early DC book, uh, Pre-Vertigo, called Thriller, which was also about a very dysfunctional family with very odd and strange powers uh, that were only a family by being brought together and adopted, uh, not by biology. Uh, I recommend it to anyone. If you can find it in the quarter bins, usually it's really worth reading. You know, this book itself, when I... um when I heard about being solicited, I never did, did pick it up in the in the monthlies, but I got I got the trade, and I have to say that I was just so delighted, and ha- the book made me very happy to read it. And you know, it, it's um, it, it I think it's accessible to to anybody who uh, even if they don't read comic books, just because it's not really bogged down in your typical you know type of capes and types types type of storyline it's just totally different origins are different uh the way the story's told is different i mean um i mean at, here at the end of the book we we have have two main characters who who have changed dramatically and and uh and there's 20 years of history of stories that can be told uh, uh at a later date well um i want to say thanks to megan you are 100 percent more than welcome to come back on the show megan thanks for being here oh, i hear you guys are doing a buffy uh podcast Oh, I want to. I, I think I'm the main Buffy dude, if that's even possible. So Jim has no, alerted me. I'm a Buffy me. guy too, John. Oh, nice, nice. And Jim had alerted me to your Buffy-ness. Uh, so uh, we'll definitely get on that one in the future. Guys, just to let you know, um, I've never seen Buffy, but a friend of mine let me all seven seasons, and I just started going through them. So this is a total new experience for me. Awesome. Oh, wow. Well, good luck on that and have fun. <laughs> oh yeah, I got I got hours of television to watch. <laughs> <laughs> hours, hours of television. I've been trying to catch one of my roommate up to Buffy, and we still haven't gotten past season four. And that's including us having two months with no job together and nothing to do but watch Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Frank, I want to say uh, thanks for taking time out of uh, your house sitting. I know sitting uh, on the couch with a rifle waiting for people to burst through the front door is a taxing job. Um, but thanks. <laughs> thank you for tearing yourself away, man. That's good to hear from you. Help me, please. Uh, guys, it was a pleasure being on. You guys do a, a knockout job. Uh, we are proud to have you part of the uh, uh, of our feet. So um, thank you for having me. I had a blast. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. This was awesome. I was so excited to do this. So um, I guess if you guys are interested in the Umbrella Academy, check out their MySpace page. Um, check out Gabriel Baugh's website. Um, check out Dark Horse website if you're interested in taking a look at those previews. And you guys can pre-order Dallas right now from um, DCV Service. Uh, also comes uh, contact with the Legion of Dudes at uh, the Steel City Con in Pittsburgh, October 24th and 25th. We're going to have a table out there. We're going to be raffling off a basket of uh, over $200 worth of uh, geek uh, swag, and we're going to be uh, give it, have giveaways and uh, all kinds of good stuff. So come out and see us at uh, Steel City Con. That's October twenty fourth, twenty fifth at the Pittsburgh Expo, Mark. So that's in good shape, guys. We're out here, good folks. Thanks for um, listening to Half Hour Wasted presents the Legion of Dudes Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba. Um, you can check us out on the comicforums.com under a Half Hour Wasted. Make sure you check out the feed from Brad and Frank and sometimes Bill McGonnell, the voice, at halfhourwasted.com. Email your comments to us at comments at legionofdudes.com, and we will talk to you guys next week for, no surprise here, Watchmen. Now, Megan, real quick before we get out of here, were you at the um, Geek Throwdown at the Pittsburgh Con? No, I didn't get a chance to go. I haven't been to a Comic-Con in God knows how long, and I really miss going. Gotcha, okay, because I know Jim's wife was there, and we got to meet Melanie and everything, and that was great. I just didn't know if you actually waited on me before. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had the pleasure. Uh, I wouldn't call it that. Folks, thanks for listening to the <laughs> Legion of Dudes. <laughs> uh, this is Adam and John and Jim and Megan and Frank signing off. We'll catch you guys for Watchmen next week. Um, in the meantime, check out halfhourwasted.com where you can hear Brad and Frank rant and raid, scratch kittens, and load shotguns. Take care. Have a good week. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.